This is the Beyond Mission podcast with Ben Greenbaum and Mark Elsesser. This year we're exploring the book of Acts and the rest of the New Testament, kind of dovetailed together. We stop at places where there is some geography or a person or a theological point that we want to explore more deeply in the book of Acts. And so today we're going to look at ministry in the city of Philippi, and then next week we'll be taking a look at the letter to the people of Philippi, the book of Philippians. So that will help us to do that. It's uh, end of May, Memorial Day time, and it's a good grilling time. Any any favorite animals or uh, vegetables or minerals that you like to put on your on your barbecue there, my friend? I'm back here with Ben Greenbaum, I should say. Last week it was Ben and Ben, and here it's Mark back with Ben. So Ben, any any kind of favorites you like to do there? Uh. I'll pretty much eat anything, as uh, you know, and so, uh, yeah, I mean, you can honestly make anything taste good on the grill, but yeah, just your traditional burgers and hot dogs. I do like to uh, throw some uh, andouille sausage uh, on the grill as well. What What's that? Uh, I don't know that. It's all right. You don't have to. I mean, that's like a, a probably a podcast in itself, but just <laughs> the Southern southern Louisiana andouille sausage is a big thing. Are you so. thinking barbecue podcast is in the future? You know what? We should do like an on-site podcast in my backyard wh- over the grill, like while while like we're grilling. Yeah, we that, can just uh, that could do be it that interesting. Way. Yeah, yeah, we can have a studio audience, well, a backyard audience, and like do it outside. We could yeah. we could do that. I, I'm remiss to, uh, here to not mention Doug that you know, Doug Collins is the one consistent throughout of this whole thing. Now and then, you and I are out and we have guests along with us, but faithful Doug. He's right here with us, so he has to be at the barbecue. He does. He does. As my wife has told me multiple times, the church could probably do without you and Mark. It can't do without Doug. Amen to that. That's the truth. Yeah, that's that's a real thing. We should, we can't ordain him, but we should do something to uh, to recognize that along the way, shouldn't we? So we're going to take a look. We're back in the book of Acts, and we're looking at Acts chapter 16. And in Acts chapter 16, Paul and his team head to the city of Philippi. And when I, whenever I think about the map, the Bible map, you know, in the back, I always think Philippi is up high, and that helps me to remember it's kind of at the top of the arc of where all of the journeys went, especially the second and third missionary journeys of Paul. So Paul, Paul is moving. He's, he's moving away, farther away from where he started, which was along the, the, really the edge of Turkey and Syria, and now he's heading it really into the Greek peninsula. He's getting further and further away from home. And we want to pick the story up in Acts chapter 16, verse 6, when it says, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, that's in Turkey, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Interesting phrase, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching in Asia, which would be Asia Minor, a little different than we think of it today, the kind of the western edge of Turkey. When they came to the border of Mycenae, another province there, they tried to enter Bithynia, yet another province, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they'd been kept by the Holy Spirit from going to one place, 
the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to go to another place. And so in verse 8, they passed by Mycenae and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia. All these are, are territories of the Roman Empire. So Macedonia, which is where Philippi is, standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. In his vision, he saw that. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. You know, ben, it has been a year ago that you and I, a little over a year ago, that we were in Orlando for the Exponential Conference, and one of the guest speakers there had the most profound statement of the day, saying they didn't draw the maps in the back of the Bible until after Paul took the journeys. And you know, it's like, okay, she she made a good point. I remember that. We kind of looked at each other and said, that was really smart. And and it's true, right? I mean, it wasn't like they had a, a plan and they knew exactly where they were going and how they were going to get there and when they were going to arrive and how long they were going to stay. And that's made clear in these verses, in these early verses. The Holy Spirit kept them from going one place. The Spirit of Jesus wouldn't allow them to go to another place. In a vision, God told them, called them to go preach in yet another place. So they were, they were desiring, in the middle of that, to head several hundred miles northeast by land, and instead they headed 150 miles northwest across water because they felt that God was speaking to them. What can, we, what can we look at this and learn about how we do ministry in the world today when we don't know exactly how it's going to turn out, we don't know exactly where we're going to go or how long we're going to stay or, or who we're going to be doing it with? There's something to this living by faith thing, knowing that the map of our lives is going to be drawn after it's over. Yeah, I think within the Western world, there's this sense that we need to have everything programmed out and planned out, even within the the church, which is absolutely um, opposite of what we see in Scripture. And so what we see in Scripture is we see this persistence of prayer and the Spirit moving to then guide and lead people uh, on where to go. And I think so often... Um, we as Christians tend to function more as secular humanists rather than spirit-led uh, Christ followers. Uh, because, you know, within, again, the Western scope, we are big on planning. We are big on uh, vision casting for the future and, you know, all of our timelines fleshed out before we start anything. We have a mode by which we oftentimes operate. God's got other plans. God's got, go functions in a different uh, in a different way. And as followers of Christ, we need to we need to seek to be more dependent upon the leading and guiding of the Spirit. Now that doesn't mean that we don't uh, prayerfully discern uh, the future. That we don't prayerfully discern the vision that God has laid out. I'm not diminishing those things, but in saying that, um, if we're not spirit dependent, we are depending on our own on, on our own means to accomplish God's will, and it's uh, dis- we're, and we're dismissing that we are fundamentally absolutely dependent upon God 
in order to move and to lead and to guide for it's his desire and his will that we're seeking to live into. It's not about Ben Greenbaum's will or Mark Elsesser's will or or whoever's will. It's about God's will. And so if we're not tied into how God is moving and working, if we're not allowing for the spirit, humbly allowing for the spirit to lead and to guide uh, our lives, the church, uh, our, our, our missional God, God's missional efforts, then we're doing it wrong. Yeah. And figuring out how to discern that is, is an art. I mean, it, it's part of our spiritual journey, learning to listen to the voice of God and figure out which, which part of that is God, which part of it is me, which part of it is, is somebody else or whatever, all things that are bouncing around inside my head, my heart. That's a that takes some time, and and Paul had, by this time had had lots of time. He'd had a, direct encounters with Jesus, and he'd he'd learned. He maybe made some mistakes along the way. I I don't know, but there is some risk involved in saying we're going the opposite direction than we thought we were going to go, because just trust me, I had a vision from God, which is in the morning. That's what Paul did, and in fact. It's, it, the scripture said, it was in verse 10, after Paul had seen the vision, we, it says, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia. We all concluded that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. The we and the us are in there. Luke is writing it by now. He's part of the ministry team, and he's, he's using the collective. But it wasn't like Paul got up and said, you guys have to do this because the Lord spoke to me. They all believed it. They concluded it. So they were working together, listening, discerning, and then with faith going. And that's a, it's not a, I wouldn't say it's a risky way because the best place you can be is in the center of God's will. It's a, that's what I've heard all the time. <laughs> but but it's, uh, it's, it's not that well-mapped out thing like you were talking about. It's pretty important. So they, they did that in verse 11 from Troas, that's on the edge of modern-day Turkey, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day we went on to Neapolis. From there we traveled to Philippi. Now there's the familiar town, Philippi. A Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. Macedonia, picture northern Greece. So it's at the very top there of the sea, and Philippi was there, and it says we stayed several days. So Philippi is an important city. It was a leading city, a Roman colony. And it was an important place for them to go. And there's there's three different encounters they had here in Acts chapter 16. Let's just take a look at a few of those and see see how far we get a little bit. It's beginning in verse 13. I'm in Acts 16, verse 13. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira, remember that name Thyatira, named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. There's a lot of things we can, we can learn about her and her response and her family's response in there and and sort of where she was from. Uh, Pick out, pick out one or two of them for now that, 
would be worthy of us noting about this person named Lydia? We see the immediate response of Lydia um, is to welcome in uh, Paul and, and those who are traveling with him. And so there's this immediate response to the gospel, uh, which we see, as, uh, as Luke says, the Lord opened her heart. And so again, talking about the Spirit's work, the Spirit has softened Lydia's heart, has prepared Lydia's heart to when she is confronted with the gospel, she comes to receive Christ. And then having received Christ immediately, you know, she's baptized, members of her household are baptized, and she invites them over uh, to, their, to her home uh, to stay. And so we see this uh, generosity uh, from Lydia. We see uh, the tender heart of Lydia uh, present here. She seeks to, to care for Paul who, and these guys who a hot second earlier were complete strangers to her. But this is what the gospel does. The gospel binds us together as family. The gospel leads us to mutually care for and love one another, to provide for one another. And we see, uh, we see this in Lydia. One of the things I want, I want to pick on is where she's from. I don't mean pick on it, you know, but explore it. And she's from a place called Thyatira. It shows up again in Revelation chapter 2. Now, now Lydia was a dealer in these, this purple cloth, and that was not easy to come by in that day, I understand. That was it the was, imported stuff. It was, it was the good stuff. And so she was carrying it back and forth because Thyatira was a city. Now we're we're back in Turkey, and modern day Turkey, and it was a place that was known for that kind of work, cloth and and the dyeing of cloth, making of pottery, their trade guilds. It was a very secular city, and that's where she was from. And I, and I imagine if she was a dealer in that, that she would make trips back and forth. She'd get on ship and she'd she'd go back and forth, and then she'd go inland, which Thyatira was inland a bit, and she would travel and get another bunch of cloth and then travel back through the Greco-Roman Empire. And she would then sell some more of the cloth and, and deal some more of it in different places. So I'm, get, I'm just picturing her going back home and taking this faith into Thyatira. And she might not have been the only one, but she was one of them that certainly helped establish the faith in the city because of her hospitality, the nature of who she was. I'm just a lot of this is a little bit of speculation on my part that she went back home being a person who was a dealer in the cloth. She would need to go back home to get more cloth. It just makes sense to me. And that she would then help the Christians in Thyatira become followers of Jesus. So fast forward to the book of Revelation, last book in the Bible. And in chapter two and three, there are these messages from Jesus to the cities that are kind of all lined up there along where Thyatira is. And in Revelation chapter 2, verse 18, this is what the, the, the Lord says, the angel of the church in Thy, to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write this. These are Jesus' words in Revelation. These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love, and your faith, your service, and your perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. So, I mean, this, this is good news. Like People like Lydia and others went and stayed and 
traveled in and out of Thyatira perhaps, and people had really grown deeply in love with God, and they'd done a life of good works and service, and they, they really were showing the love of God to others. But you have to read the rest of this little passage in Revelation chapter 2, verse 20. Nevertheless, people of Thyatira, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. And it goes on from there. It's kind of a, just an interesting sidebar, interesting note from in my mind to think, here's, here's the faith that's being established in this woman. She has her whole household baptized. She has some influence. She has some wealth, probably. She's a dealer in this, you said, the good imported stuff. I mean, she's, she's got it going on. And, and so using her influence and all of that, she's probably traveling back and forth through her hometown. But 40 years later, when the book of Revelation is written down, 40 years later, the folks that were there had done some things well. They were serving God. They'd done some things not so well. They were serving their own sensuality, their own, their own interests. And it's just a reminder, I think, to me, that it doesn't take long for us to let the faith sort of slip through our fingers like sand. And, and then we have the residue, some of, of it left in our palms, but a lot of it's kind of gone away. And I don't know if Lydia would have been alive by this point, by 40 years later, but it's just an interesting side note that I wanted to, ex- to explore with you just a little bit. Yeah, and it's a risk that, that all churches, all communities of faith have, have wrestled with and have struggled through uh, for the last 2,000 years. And that's one of the, the more fascinating aspects of uh, the New Testament record is that we see uh, the beginning of some of these churches and how they, how they were planted. You know, soon we'll see the, the church plant in Ephesus and throughout the, the scripture, we really see almost the lifespan of that church uh, carried out between uh, the book of Acts, because um, Ephesus played such a prominent role. We see it in the book of Acts. We see Paul's uh, letter to the church in Ephesus. Uh, we see Paul's uh, words in the book of Acts to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20 and his warning to them, as well as his encouragement to them. Um, and then we see, you know, Paul's words to Timothy uh, as Timothy mm-hmm. was serving in Ephesus. And then we see uh, Jesus's words relative to Ephesus in uh, the book of Revelation, where he um, where he pays tribute to the things that they're doing right, that they do not tolerate wicked men. And yet he says, I hold this thing against you that you've lost your first love. And I think that that's the, the struggle in within every church, in every context throughout the centuries is that there is always a, a tendency, whether it's born of, uh, of, of culture or born of uh, issues within the, the church community itself, whatever it might be, there's always these temptations that we have to guard against that are contradictory to the message of Christ and to the will of God for what he would have us to be as his people. That, that is well put it's easy for us to get caught up in either the things of the world or the traditions of the, of our churches or just the way of life that we, that we think about 
the things that dominate our mind and really lose focus on the one true God. Okay, I want to come back to the book of Acts, chapter 16, and let's just try this. We got, we got some more time left. Let's just take a look at a different woman. It's in Acts, chapter 16. And she is the contrast to Lydia. Acts 16, verse 16, once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. Now, th- this woman, Ben, I mean, she's, she's the opposite. Lydia, the, she's called by name. This person's just a female slave. Lydia was a businesswoman. She had some authority in her household. She had her whole household baptized, uh, so it's hard to say if she had a husband or not. Uh, but she had probably a traveling group that was with her and her own family as well, and she had some influence in their lives. And this slave was a slave. She had no power, no influence at all. She made money as well, but not for herself. She made it for her owners. And I just I want to just reflect on that a minute because when Paul was doing ministry, you sometimes see him, and we're going to look at this even more in the in future podcasts, we talk about the book of Acts, when he's in the book of Acts, but he's in Athens. And I mean, like he is with the, the elite philosophical scholars of the day. And here he's with a businesswoman. And now he's with a, a slave woman fortune teller, a soothsayer, who's, who's got no power at all. And, and I, I just really am impressed, actually, as I'm reading through the book of Acts again with all of you, that that when Paul did ministry, he just didn't care. He wasn't a respecter of people. Like, the, the, the wealthy, the wise, that's who I'm going to spend my time. He did. He spent time with them. The down and out, he spent time with them. The people who were forgotten and neglected, he spent time with them. And he saw each person as equally worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and I know that like, sometimes I, I rush past verse 16 in order to get to the rest of this chapter. By the way, when I took Greek in seminary, and we, we got just a, a little ways into it, I think it was by the second semester, it was time to use our amazing skills translating, which, you know, I knew like seven words, I think, I don't know. But Acts 16 was the passage that, that we went through, phrase by phrase, word by word, what does this mean? And and I, this, this passage has a particular importance to me, but I think even then we rushed past verse 16 to get to the good stuff. And that is this woman, you know, becomes a follower of Jesus and, and they get thrown in jail and they get broken out of jail and all this kind of stuff. And there's, there's some good story stuff in there that we don't have time for today. Please read it. It's amazing. But I just want to dwell on verse 16 and contrast it with Lydia and this woman was equally important in Paul's eyes for the gospel of Jesus. And there, it just doesn't matter what, what background, what race, what socioeconomics, none of it seems to matter to the gospel. Yeah, and we see that throughout the, the New Testament in Paul's proclamation of the gospel, whether to, to rich or poor no matter the ethnicity of those before him or the nationality of those before him, before them, before Paul. You know, Paul saw everybody through the lens as uh, equal image bearers um, that all had been created in the image of God. 
And so in, in an operating out of that, uh, recognize that all are in need of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus did not come for a particular ethnicity, that Jesus did not come for a particular socioeconomic status, but Jesus came to get salvation for us all. And, uh, and we see that uh, through Paul, and we see the relational dynamics that play out uh, through that. You know, we, we, you would have seen it uh, in the, uh, Paul's letter to uh, Philemon, where, where he calls upon Philemon to treat Onesimus as a brother in Christ, uh, Onesimus, who was a runaway slave that Paul had shared the gospel with. And so th- this is what we see again throughout the, the New Testament, is we see God's kingdom ethic coming to bear on the cultural ethic of the world. And the kingdom ethic of God says that we are all equal, that in Christ there is neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, but we are all one in Jesus Christ. Yeah, in the eyes of the Philippian people, the, the fortune teller was nothing. But, the, but Lydia, the dealer in purple cloth, she was, she was something. She was bringing the imported goods, the, the really good goods. But in Jesus' eyes, pardon the pun, they were cut from the same cloth. They were the same. Yeah, absolutely. There was like no imported thing here. They they were exactly the same. They were people in need of of the good news of Jesus Christ. And man, that is a reminder for all of us as we as we think about in our own journeys, we're called to to be ambassadors for Christ, we're to to reach people. And it's not just people like us. We're all cut from the same cloth. We're we're all made from the same handful of dirt. We're we're all in the end, we are all the same and all equally worthy of the gospel. And uh, I don't know why that was a, a, a thing that I've missed in, in so, so many times when I've read through this, but the contrast between these two women in the Philippian people's eyes couldn't have been greater in God's eyes was irrelevant. Pretty cool, huh? Yep. All right. Well, next time we're going we're gonna to stick around Philippi, and my sister-in-law, Martha Frizz-Langer, is going to join me as we explore this letter to the Philippians and see what Paul has to say to them. So until then, you can read ahead and get familiar with the book of Philippians, and we'll spend some time next time doing that. Folks, if you want to jump in deeper, go to our church's website, fishersumc.org. Click on the Beyond Mission link, and you can find all kinds of goodies about this year that we are going through. And if you want to stay up to date with these podcasts, we encourage you to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, may God bless.